0: That's a section of Scripture we're going to look at this morning, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Vince. I am one of the pastors here at Redeeming Grace Church, and it's my privilege to bring God's Word to us here this morning. As we turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 7, Mark is going to tell us two stories. There are two stories that are somewhat related, and the topic uh, is sort of the same between them two. It's about being defiled. It's about what makes us unclean before God. And so there's an encounter with Jesus and the Pharisees where he addresses one aspect of this and a second story that Jesus tells a parable to the people and then explains it to his disciples. But the common theme, the common thread is this concept of being defiled and unclean before God. Both of these issues are ultimately going to deal with our hearts. So listen carefully as Sarah Paul reads to us here this morning about the heart, and the connection to uncleanness and the issues of our hearts.
1: Mark 7, 1 through 23. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat, You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me as Corbin, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word that you give to us. It's a word that reveals your will. It's a word that reveals your son It's a a word that helps us to know how to live in the world that you have prepared for us. And so, Lord, we want to sit under the authority of your word here this morning. We want your word to teach us and to correct us and to reprove us and to train us in righteousness. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be with us now by your spirit. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we read some of these uh, New Testament passages, they have a lot of references either to the Old Testament or sometimes to people of the New Testament that we're not familiar with, like the Pharisees. And you might be wondering, well, who exactly were these people? Well, they were religious leaders who took the law of God very seriously. And as Jesus was doing His ministry already five times in the Gospel of Mark, they have confronted Jesus because they think He's not doing things the right way. And so in this particular passage, some Pharisees and scribes, teachers of the law, came all the way from Jerusalem to check out Jesus. They were basically spying on him. And they really didn't like Jesus. And this has already been shown throughout uh, Mark's gospel because he was claiming to take on the role of God by forgiving sins. He wasn't honoring their traditions like the Sabbath and keeping fasts. He associated with sinners and Gentiles and tax collectors. And he was exerting influence over the people, and so they felt threatened as religious leaders. And so they want to come and convict him of rule-breaking and thus discredit him before the people. And so in our text here today, we're going to look at two points from these two stories. The first one with the Pharisees and scribes, and the second one is Jesus talks to the people, but then explains the parable to the disciples. But the first point today that we want to look at is that religious hypocrisy exposes a problem of the heart. And as I said to begin the message, this text and both of these stories deal with defilement, being unclean before God. And that's at first what these Pharisees are going after. It was things that they perceived to be defiling, and Jesus was thinking it was okay. And so if this first point is religious hypocrisy exposes a problem of the heart, well, we have to look at the text and find out, well, what was the problem really going on here? You see, as these scribes confronted Jesus, it was about matters of the law. But there were two different types of law. The first was a law that was written down, that was in the Torah. That's where you get the Ten Commandments. Those were the things that were inscripturated, and people followed those things. And that had the commands of God in it. But over time, the religious people said, well, the the law of God gives a lot of the, the policies of God's kingdom and things that He wants done in His kingdom but we need a little more detail on some of the rules. So if there's a a rule from God about the Sabbath, well, the question is, well, what constitutes a Sabbath? When does it start? What does it mean to work on the Sabbath? How much work can you do? How much work can't you do? And so they created a vast array of minute details to try to explain the laws of God. Now, it wasn't wrong that they wanted to clarify what these things were, but here's the problem. Over time they made these traditions of the elders on par with God's Word. And so no longer were they serving God's Word, they were actually rivaling God's Word. And that's what the Pharisees were doing in this instance. You see, it was okay and permitted in God's law and actually commanded in God's law for the high priest to wash his hand when he went into the tabernacle. But the Pharisees and the other religious leaders, they went a lot further than that. They said, well, if the high priest needs to go in and wash his hands, well, maybe we should all wash our hands all the time. And they came up with this elaborate system where all throughout a meal, you had to keep washing your hands all the time to stay ritually ritually clean. And the list went on and on and on. And so what happened here in this text is that the Pharisees saw that Jesus' disciples weren't washing their hands. In their minds, they're committing a big offense. They're being defiled. They're being unclean. They're breaking with the tradition of the elders, which was on par with God's command. And so the Pharisees not only added lots of rules about hand washing, you had to wash the plates and the cups. You even had to wash the couch that you were sitting on or lying on to eat your food. And not only that, but these rules expanded into every facet of life. They included associating or not associating with certain classes of people like lepers, Gentiles, Samaritans. Also, they had rules about fasting and keeping the Sabbath. No surprise that Jesus kept having these run-ins with the Pharisees because basically a lot of these traditions that they held so dear, He was breaking them. He wasn't living their way, and so He became quite the rival to them. Now, the point that Jesus is making is not that traditions are bad per se. We all have traditions. We come to church at a certain time. We generally know what appropriate clothes to wear when we come to this church. But if you go to a different church, they might wear different clothes. If I was in a Presbyterian church, I'd probably be wearing a blue blazer uh, or at a Baptist church a lot of times. And there's nothing wrong with that. But here's what would be wrong with it. If somebody saw me preaching without a blue blazer on and said, you know what, you're actually defiled. You're unclean. You might not even be a Christian. You see, when we elevate the traditions of men to being on par with God's Word, we get ourselves into a lot of trouble. Because instead of living under the Word of God, we actually in our own ways like to live above the Word of God. You see, it's in the heart of man for all of us to want to play God we love to be in charge. We chafe a little bit under God's authority and God's rule, and it's a little uncomfortable. You know, it's the old story. Anytime you see the sign that says, don't walk on the grass, what do you do? You walk on the grass. Why? Because our little hearts are just filled with all kinds of stuff that say, hey, don't tell me what to do. But the Pharisees loved telling people what to do. And they had all these elaborate plans. And so Jesus actually goes on the offensive here. And he replies to them with a sharp rebuke and a correction. Look at verses 6 and 7. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So he's quoting Isaiah twenty nine thirteen, which is part of the series in Isaiah chapters 28 to 31, where Isaiah really goes after the leaders of Israel, specifically the teachers of the law, because he said, you're leading everybody astray with your man-made religions. You're not helping people come to worship God. You're actually just casting more and more burdens on them. And look, the reality in the Bible is... In the Old Testament, the people already had enough trouble trying to follow the commands of God, and they couldn't keep those. They eventually got exiled. But here are these religious leaders saying, hey, well, let's just double down. Let's add more laws to this. And so the weight and the burden of living under the law of God, not just God's commands, but the tradition of the elders became an unbearable weight, and it led people away from God, not towards God so why such a harsh rebuke? Why call them hypocrites? Which basically means that they were being stage actors. They were impersonators. They were pretenders. It's because their actions are merely external, but they didn't really come from the heart. And the greatest commandment in God's Word is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart. And see, they missed it. By adding their traditions of men, they missed the most important commandment of God, to love Him. And they were missing the point. These traditions were not serving them any longer. These traditions were becoming a master to them. Instead of drawing people to God, they were pushing people away from God. And Jesus illustrates how bad it is. You might not be familiar with this Corban situation, but, so let me just explain it to you briefly. In God's Word, it says, honor your father and your mother, okay? Fifth commandment, Exodus 20. And then it goes on, it says, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die, Exodus 21, 17. So Jesus is quoting from the Bible the commands of God. And, and he went right to the parental relationship. He didn't go love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He just went straight to the, the parents because in the culture of the day, honoring your father and mother, well, that was like honoring God and loving God because parents in God's economy are given to children to be in God's stead for them, to shepherd them and to care for them as under shepherds. And so there's a direct link between the way God designs things. So God is the Father of all, but He also gives us fathers and mothers in our home. And so it became a big deal. The law says you have to honor your father and mother, and if you don't do that, if you revile them, you must surely die. You got the death penalty for disobeying your parents. Now, pause here if you're a young child. Death penalty for not obeying mom and dad. Why? Because it was a serious offense. This idea of korban, though, is something a little bit different. It was one of the traditions of the elders. Verse 11 says this, But if you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. And so it was one of the religious practices from Leviticus 27 that you could devote things to God. You could devote some of your income. You could devote your land. You could give things to God, and it wasn't to be messed with. Nobody could take it from you, and when you died, it transferred to God. And so it was a way of giving uh, sacrifice. It was a way of giving uh, back to the Lord. But here's where it came into conflict. Jesus is saying, you teach a man that you can tell him that whatever he has, he can give his core bond to the temple, to, uh, to the Lord, but then neglect his father and mother. And he said, you've now taken a tradition of man and you've weaponized it so that somebody can actually not love their parents and honor them by doing something that has the appearance of spirituality. You see, the big thing about giving these offerings is that you got a lot of credit for that. You looked good on the outside. Everybody would have thought, oh, so-and-so gave that as Corban, but they missed the point because that same person who wants to be esteemed and recognized publicly for their religious duty might very well in their heart harbor an anger and a resentment to their parents to the point where they wouldn't care for them in their old age. Jesus looked at that and said, you have totally missed the point. You have taken your traditions and you've made them above God. Look at verse 13. He says, making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Friends, when we take a tradition, something that describes the way that we live out the Christian life, if it's not explicit in Scripture but it's a practice that we have. And if we elevate it to the point where we expect everybody else to uphold to that too, and we make it a new law, friends, we are in danger of committing religious idolatry. We become the rule makers, not the rule followers. We become the ones who are in charge and not the ones who are submitted to God. And so Jesus is teaching them a very, very important lesson. And that is that in our pride, when we take our traditions and put them on par or above God's word, we run the risk of voiding God's word. And I don't know about you, but I don't think I want to be in a position of voiding God's word. God's word is holy, and God's word is good. And so Jesus addresses them. He says religious hypocrisy exposes a problem of the heart because that's where he went in Isaiah, didn't he? He said, these people honor me with their lips, okay? They go to church, they go to small group, they give, they go to prayer meetings, they serve at the Lamb Center, they do all these things, but it's possible to do all those things and still have your heart be far from God. How can that be? Jesus then tells another story, or Mark tells us another story about Jesus, because Jesus wants to make it clear where the problem really lies. And the second point is this. Evil thoughts and actions originate in the heart. Remember how I said that this was going to be a connection between defilement and uncleanness, but also what happens in the heart? Well, that's exactly where Jesus goes. And and I understand this next one uh, pretty well, because before I became a Christian, I used to go to church in the morning before I went to work. Um, I was starting to read the Bible, and there was a degree of wanting to become a, a little bit more knowledgeable about faith and about Christianity. And so I started going to church, but I wasn't just going for that reason. I had an ulterior motive. You see, some of the girls that I grew up with, their moms used to go to church in the morning too. And so I wanted those moms to see me on Sunday mornings or not on, just on Sunday mornings, but on mornings during the week. Why? Because I thought they were think, oh, that's really, look at Vinny going to church. Well, first of all, that was a miracle that I was in church in the first place. But seriously, like, do you ever find that in something where you're trying to do something that on one sense, you know is the right thing to do, but you sort of have a mixed motive? Where does that mixed motive come from? Well, Jesus is going to tell us that it comes from Our hearts. And so in verse 14, it says, he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. He's making a sharp and urgent appeal. He's saying, listen to me, I've got something to tell you that's really, really important. These Pharisees taught about external rituals and traditions, but Jesus is going to go on to explain that the actual problem lies on the inside and not on the outside. Verse 15, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Huh, what's Jesus talking about here? First of all, I think as you hear this, you go, hey, I think this problem might be worse than I think. I'm already having enough time, hard time trying to keep the commands on the outside. And now Jesus is saying, hey, let's double down on this. The problem's actually on the inside. What is Jesus getting after? Well, he's getting after the connection between our actions and what resides in our hearts. You see, the heart in the Bible is the wellspring of our emotions, our desires, our wills, and Jesus is trying to get right to the inside. And so it goes on. It says that Jesus explains the parable to his disciples. In verse 18, the second half of it says this, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach. So he's saying when you eat food, the analogy is it goes down your throat, into your stomach, and then it goes out. Literally, it is expelled, meaning to the latrine, if you look at the footnotes in your Bible. He's basically giving a simple lesson on how food processed through the body, but he says something interesting. He says it never touches the heart. Oh, what's he getting after? It's not what you do on the outside that defiles you. It's what's already going on in your heart. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. You see, the main point here is that the source of our problem of uncleanness and defilement doesn't come from the outside. It starts on the inside, and that's what God searches. God searches the heart, doesn't He? He's always looking at what's going on on the inside, and that's why in Isaiah, He quotes that. He says, their hearts are far from me. They had missed the point. Now, Jesus is not saying that the goal is to be uh, pure on the inside and forget about the outside. That's antinomianism. That's just saying, hey, I don't have to live under any laws of God. He's not saying that but he is addressing the misunderstanding of how the law is used. We are called to obey. But Jesus is going after the source of our problem, and that is the evils in our hearts. And that's a part of life that we don't like to admit a lot. I think generally we like to think that we're all pretty good people, basically trying to do the right thing, and every once in a while we do something a little bit wrong, right? Okay, we usually get like a B plus. Rarely do people give themselves A+, plus, but they give themselves you know, a B, B plus, every once in a while if you're not doing so good, maybe you get a C, but rarely do we give ourselves a failing grade. But Jesus wants to understand, wants them to understand how deep the problem really runs, and so he gives a catalog of sins, of the evils that reside in our hearts. And let me read it to you again, just so that we can make sure that we have our minds around this. Verse 21 and 22 say this, for from within, okay, in your heart, And out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. I could do show of hands after each one. Like, anybody with evil thoughts? (laughs) Let me just tell you before I read the rest of this, I get an A plus in this list. And I mean that sincerely, actually. There's a way of defining these different words and the way that Jesus defines these words, like murder, like adultery, and while, no, I have not physically committed adultery, but have I had lust of the eyes? Yes. Have I ever murdered somebody? Yes. I've been angry with lots of people. I've murdered a lot. And if we think about this list, thinking about how Jesus thinks about this list, we're all going to get an A+. Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. I mean, at some point, we want to say, hey, Jesus, can you just call time out here? Like, you're killing me. Right? But I think that's the purpose. I think he's trying to help them understand that your heart is so wicked, your heart is so full of stuff that you're never going to be able to clean it all up on your own. And so he teaches them, that this problem comes from within. These are sins of the heart. And sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in our actions, in our attitudes, and just even in our nature. Sin is our greatest problem because sin separates us from a holy God. And so every person in this room that gets an A on this list But even if you didn't commit all these things, even if you lived a pretty good life, even one sin separates you from God. And we are unable to repay Him the debt that we owe. And so every person in this room, well, it's a level playing field. We all have something significant in common. And that is that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And we desperately need a Savior. Every one of us. There's no one righteous, not even one, scripture says. And it's at this point where I say, well, we've had these two stories and welcome to the bad news of the Bible. Let's have the worship team come back up and we'll just sing along, right? These stories create a conflict in our hearts, a conflict that has to be resolved. And if you're sitting here today and you're listening and you're looking at these words, you go, how, how does the story end? How does this conflict get resolved? Why would people want to follow somebody who just taught about how bad our hearts are and how just even trying to be good and adding things to it, we're just gonna mess it up anyway? It's pretty hopeless, it's pretty discouraging. You see, this is really bad news. If we stopped here, we would be doomed. God's judgment against sin is His wrath, something that each and every one of us deserve. And so a question that we all must ask ourselves is, how can we be clean before God? How can we get our hearts that are full of evil right with God when we know that we can't do it on our own? But thanks be to God, Scripture tells us that with man, this is impossible, But with God, all things are possible." I was thinking about a parallel to this, and that is, it's about heart transplants. I'm a little familiar with that lately. But here's the thing about heart transplants. You never actually get on the list for a heart transplant unless you acknowledge the problem. Unless somebody diagnoses you with heart problems, you're not going to be on the transplant list. They're going to say, you can't just raise your, I'd like a new heart. Well, why? What's wrong with yours? I don't know, nothing's wrong. Well, then you're not getting on the list. No, you start with the list by getting on it when you acknowledge that there's a problem. And that's what the texts here today are helping us see. Friends, you and I have a significant problem. But God has a plan to give us new hearts. God has a plan to solve the problem of our sin. And just like with a transplant, You have to qualify to get on the list. Well, I think we all qualify for that, right? We all have bad hearts. And we need a donor to give us a new heart. And who's that? Well, that's Jesus. And then how is this new heart going to be input into our bodies? It's not a physical heart. It's a spiritual heart. And so the Holy Spirit acts as the surgeon and gives us new hearts. And then you can live a new life called to live a new way and this is where the connection to Jesus and the good news comes in. I was talking to Kenneth about this passage and he said this, he said the problem on the outside must be solved by someone on the uh, the problem on the inside must be solved by someone on the outside who gives us new hearts. Which brings us back to the to the Bible and to God's word in the Old Testament, both the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel promised that God was going to give new hearts to his people. He knew that they were never going to be able to be pure on their own, and so they needed new hearts. In Ezekiel 36, 24 to 27, say this. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. Notice the language. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So if the tension in the story is we have a big problem with our hearts and with sin, God provides a way of escape. He will give us new hearts. In God's plan to redeem and save his people, he appoints Jesus Christ to be the one who purifies our evil hearts. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he, meaning Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Notice the language. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How can this be? Because at the cross, Jesus shed his blood To pay for our sins. It's the substitution of Jesus for us. You see, at the cross, he bore our sins so that God's wrath that we deserved would be poured out on Jesus. And Jesus would pay for every last sin of ours. This great substitution enables us then to receive the righteousness of Christ so that we can stand before God be adopted into his family, and be given the hope of eternal life. Oh, friends, what a Savior we have in Jesus Christ. You see, we're never going to clean ourselves up enough to be right with God. Somebody had to do it for us, and that was Jesus. But it came at a great cost. Jesus substituted himself for us in order to make us right with God. He pays the penalty of our sins, gives us His righteousness, and Scripture says by His wounds we are healed. So Jesus becomes our Savior and our Lord. He's our Savior in that we look to Him to to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and He becomes our Lord saying, I no longer live for Me, I want to live under Your rule and under Your reign, because there is no other King like Jesus. There's no one else that says, hey, come follow me, but if you can't do it, I'll do it for you. Well, that's what Jesus does. And this is why the invitation of the gospel is so special, because if we really understand how bad our sin is, well, then the offer of the gospel becomes even greater and greater in our minds. The opposite is true. If you don't think of yourself as much of a sinner, well, then you're probably not in need of a very great Savior. And I don't say that so that we walk around with a morbid introspection and say, oh, I just, I'm the worst sinner I know and I just need to think about my sin all the time. No, but it is to have an effect in our lives. We're supposed to understand that, you know what? I'm not there yet. But that's okay because if I will humble myself and repent and submit myself to the Lord, I know that I can work out my salvation with fear and trembling For it is God who is at work in me to will and to act for his good pleasure. You see, when we come to Christ, it's not like a one-off deal. He's not just your Savior and he says, hey, have a nice life. No, that's why the promise of Jesus is so special. He says, I'm never going to leave you. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like being left alone. As a kid, I really didn't like being left alone. I li- grew up in a large family. There were a lot of us. And every once in a while, there's even a picture in a magazine of some company event that we were at, my family was at for my dad, and somehow I got lost. And so there's a picture in the company newsletter of this kid just with tears coming down his face. I was lost. But what happened to those tears when I got found? Joy. Isn't that a picture of the Christian life? We who were once lost have now been found. Enter the joy of your master. Friends, we don't walk around on a sin hunt, but we do need to acknowledge our sin. We need to take it seriously because sin is offensive to God. We do it because we want to be pleasing in God's sight, not because we just want to keep thinking about ourselves. And so we do acknowledge our sin, but we confess our sins. And He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sins. Oh, friends, I hope I'm painting a picture of a glorious Savior for you. Because that is what God's Word teaches us. We have a glorious, wonderful, awesome Savior in Jesus Christ. In Mark's Gospel, the Pharisees, the scribes, The people and even the disciples often failed to see what was happening right before their eyes. You see, these two stories involve Jesus. Jesus, the one sent by God, is the one standing there talking to the Pharisees, talking to the people, explaining things to the disciples. In Mark's gospel, we've already seen that he commands unclean spirits to go out of people. He cleanses a leper, He heals the paralyzed, He forgives sins, He casts out demons, He raises the dead, calms the seas, feeds the 5,000, walks on water, heals the sick, and yet they still don't understand. Warning for all of us, we can be like that too. We can see all these things of God and yet miss Him. And I would urge us to slow down in our times with the Lord. To make sure that we're not just reading our Bibles just to check something off. Hey, I did that today. But lingering long enough in our Bibles to actually see Jesus. To talk to Him. To listen to Him. To cast our cares upon Him. You see, Jesus doesn't want us to be followers who just walk by rote by what He says. No, He wants to walk side by side with us in a relationship where we are humbly dependent on Him. In Mark 1.15, when Jesus comes onto the scene, he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. You see, it's only through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we will ever be reconciled to God. That's how our uncleanness, our defilement, is dealt with. Right standing with God comes through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to tell you, thanks for being here with us. I used to get brought to church sometimes. I wasn't a follower of Jesus. But, but over time, what I heard coming to different churches was the truth. And I hope that what you're hearing today from God's Word is received as the truth, because that's what it is. God doesn't lie to us. And I want to tell you that if you're separated from God because of your sins If you see yourself in that list and some of those things residing in your heart, there is as much hope for you as there is for all of us, and that is the free offer of the gospel. Jesus said, if you're burdened and heavy laden with your sins, Jesus gives the invitation, just come to me. You give me those things, and I'll give you my burden, which is easy and light. If you want to talk more about this, please talk to somebody that you came with, or if you're just visiting, some of us will be up here at the end of the meeting. We would love to talk to you about what it looks like to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And as followers of Jesus, for those of you who are members here or Christians in our audience, clearly from this text there's a warning to heed about not being hypocritical in our religion. There's also a a warning a little bit to stop to say, hey, am I really sure I know what's going on in my own heart so that I can be faithful to go back to God with those things and to repent? But ultimately as we receive these new hearts from God, we're called to live in a new way because the old has gone and the new has come. And once you are his, he will never let you go. This is the good news of the gospel that we need to preach to ourselves all the time because let's face it, life is hard and it's easy to lose our way even as Christians. But with the hope that we have residing within us, and the help that we have from the Holy Spirit and each other. Friends, we can encourage one another to press on, to live the way that God has called us to live. Amen.